Can you tell someone is going to be a good head coach? Plus, Tate Frazier, Fox Sports, Tyson Tate, joins the show to talk about the draft and the coaching search today on the show. It's Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, Equal Housing Lender. The Open on the coaching search. As plenty of names have been floated out, Woj and Shams all over it. Who's interviewing for the job? Plenty of people. What can you tell from them right now? Because that's all they are right now. Their resumes. And with the information that we have, do you know if someone's going to be a good head coach? Because what if I told you that there's a candidate out there that is beloved by his former teammates? This guy played in the NBA. Journeyman. Wasn't a huge star. But Charles Barkley calls him his favorite teammate. He's well-liked by the media, coached successfully in college, got his team to the tournament, and now he's an NBA assistant. Want that guy as your head coach? Well, that's former University of Utah head coach Larry Kraskoviak, circa 2007. And I'm not sure right now people are clamoring for Larry K to be their head coach, college or elsewhere. But that's just a blind resume of someone who coached a million years ago. 2007? I don't even remember what I was doing then. What about modern people? Okay, how about the Final Four? I think the Final Four is a pretty good indicator that you could coach, you get it done at a high level. So what have they done? Got Ime Odoka, Boston Celtics, first-time head coach, leading the charge, expert in holding people accountable, called his team a bunch of and they responded. But he came from the Spurs coaching tree. Three-time assistant, Highly regarded, gets his shot and leads his team to the final round. In the East Finals, he faced off against Eric Spolstra. Heat, homegrown talent, video coordinator to an assistant to the lead. Worked under Stan Van Gundy, worked under Pat Riley. He's homegrown. Western Conference, Steve Kerr, broadcaster previously, also had a stint as the general manager of the Phoenix Suns. I wouldn't characterize that as overly successful, but... Many times we could be very harsh when it comes to executives. I think it's fair to say he's not Jerry West, though. Did reach the conference finals when he was an executive, just to be fair. He faced off against Jason Kidd. Third go-around for a legendary point guard. And that's something that you can see in these head coaching searches. Really good players. They get to bypass the line because they have that equity as being an awesome player. That's why in the 90s, Magic Johnson even got a shot. But kid, he was a Lakers assistant, gets the interview, gets the job. And the Jazz series, the Sun series, he pushed all the right buttons. That's just one Final Four. What about another? Okay, Monty Williams with the Suns. He was a former head man with New Orleans gets reunited with Chris Paul, and wins Coach of the Year, leads them to the finals. His opposite in that Final Four, Ty Lue. Whew, Ty Lue. Doc's lead assistant, gets elevated once, Rivers leaves. And you know the story. I feel like we've talked about how good of a coach he is on this podcast. Let me just bring up the name Terrence Mann. Okay, you get the picture. Eastern Conference, Mike Budenholzer. Second time in charge, fired by Atlanta, comes from the Spurs coaching tree. He's dogmatic. 
He plays the same way, gives up threes, drive kick swing on offense, lets it fly, but it works. Giannis leads that team to a championship. And then, if you remember, this team made the Eastern Conference Finals. Congratulations. The Hawks. Nate McMillan. His fourth time in charge. He was a Lloyd Pierce assistant, but it's not as if McMillan didn't have any experience in this league. He's been coaching so long, one of his stops isn't even in the NBA anymore. Seattle Supersonics. But that team was floundering under Pierce. He takes charge, and they go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Does anyone think that's their maximum? I don't, but it does say something. They could turn something around into being a winning program. And that's what Nate McMillan did. So, those are the resumes of the Final Four coaches. And there are a variety of ways, whether you've previously been in charge, whether it's your first time up, an assistant, a star player, variety of ways to get to that point. So who's interviewing for the Jazz job? A lot of names. I got 14 so far. And through the combination of reporting by Woj and Shams, these are the names. Terry Stotts, Frank Vogel, Alex Jensen, Lamar Skeeter, Johnny Bryant, Will Hardy, Adrian Griffin, Kevin Young, Chris Quinn, Charles Lee, Joe Mazzula, Sean Sweeney, Jason Terry, Jerome Allen. All names on the paper. All getting an interview with a club. And to me, that's the definition of casting a wide net. Plenty of names on there. Plenty that you've heard of. Plenty that you haven't. I've heard of a couple of these names. Just to give you some insight, when Phoenix came through late in the season, I remember sitting in courtside, somebody around the NBA approaches me, we're talking about Phoenix, and they point to Kevin Young, who was working with Devin Booker, and they say, might be this cycle, might be next, that guy's going to be a head coach someday. Now, he's from around here, but he's highly regarded as a smart young mind who has paid his dues. Another person I've heard about, talking to people, Will Hardy. Over in Boston, that guy's related to San Antonio, comes from that coaching tree. Sean Sweeney, you've heard on the podcast, talking to Tim McMahon. He's their defensive coordinator. He's gotten a lot of applause for what he did in Dallas. And that's not even including the Utah guys. Johnny Bryant, know what he did. You know his player development story, helping Gordon Hayward, helping Donovan on his second tour as an assistant, this time in New York. It's a good opportunity for him to go. He's greatly appreciated by the team. That could be quite the narrative in him coming back. But the two Jazz assistants that are getting shots at the job, Lamar Skeeter, he's led the Summer League program in the past. And he's appreciated as a development guy. Alex Jensen, the same. He's running this year's Summer League. And Danny Ainge talked about how This is going to be a long process in finding a head coach. It's not going to be rushed. We're in week one, and still early. But AJ has a reputation that precedes him. He was offered the University of Utah coaching job, didn't take it, stuck around. He's seen so many successes in development. He's the guy that told George Niang, if you shoot this corner three and you defend your position, You can get on the floor in the NBA as a rotation player. And what does George do? He does those things and gets on the floor as a rotation player. So AJ knows what he's doing. And then I lean on Kevin Arnovitz, ESPN. 
he writes a column each year of the hot coaching prospects in the league, done so to great effect. Back when Quinn was interviewing for the Jazz job, Kevin Artovitz identified him as one of the candidates who was up and coming in that time and in line for a head coaching opportunity. So he has a good track record on identifying these things. He named five guys that the Jazz are interviewing as potential people who could get opportunities as a lead dog. Those names are Charles Lee, Kevin Young, Chris Quinn, Joe Mazzula, and Will Hardy. So it's encouraging. The list of names the Jazz are talking to. And I'm sure this is going to be a diligent process, one where Danny Ainge seen him hire two people when he was an executive in Boston, Doc and Brad Stevens, both great success. Him being a voice in the room, have to trust that he knows what he's doing. But whatever happens, I always fall back on something that I read from Bill Parcells years ago. And if you don't know Bill Parcells, former head coach in the National Football League, Super Bowl champion with the Giants, he's known as one of the builders of franchises. Compare him to a Larry Brown in how instant he'll try to turn around a program, get things right. Wins, is a tactician, gets all that right on the board. But I come back to how he talks about coaching and its form of leadership in the Harvard Business Review. Yes, I am someone who will read what the NFL coach has to say in the Harvard Business Review. But he says this, a fundamental lesson about leadership. You have to be honest with people, brutally honest. You have to tell them the truth about their performance. You have to tell it to them face-to-face, and you have to tell it to them over and over again. Sometimes the truth will be painful, and sometimes saying it will lead to uncomfortable confrontation. So be it. The only way to change people is to tell them in the clearest possible terms what they're doing wrong. If they don't want to listen, they don't belong on the team. Whoever does that doesn't matter what their resume says. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Tate Frazier, Titus and Tate, Fox Sports, college basketball analyst. I brought him on to talk about the draft. And yes, we talked about Quinn Snyder, how you should remember him here in Utah. And since he's a college basketball guy, I asked about college coaches that could make the jump to the NBA. Are they serious? Not exactly. But fun names? And frankly, I just wanted to talk college hoops with somebody who loves that part of the game. So enjoy it. It's Tate Frazier. We started off on the Coach K Succession Power Rankings, a man he believes will return to college basketball. It's Tate on Round Ball Roundup. to Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder is a really good basketball coach, right? I mean, everyone knows that, everyone that knows Quinn. So I, I, I'm I, sure, as you can tell by Donovan Mitchell's reaction to the news, I think that Jazz fans and you know people that aren't even Jazz fans that are from the outside looking in know that Quinn's a good coach, so they were a little shocked by that news. Um, like you said, in our world, um, we call them the Mr. K uh, successor power rankings right now. That's true, my bad. Um, but, <laughs> you know... 
Mr. K, he has uh, quite a, a long list of coaches that are trying to climb up those power rankings. John Shire um, is falling by the day, um, which is shocking, you know, considering that he is supposedly the head coach. But none, none of the sites have been updated to reflect that. Coach K is still listed as the head coach. Um, you know, that, that all to the side, I think Quinn Snyder would be a great college basketball coach because he is a great teacher of the game and you need teachers of the game in college basketball. I think that's the most important part. That's kind of what college always was meant to be at some level or aspired to be. And he would, you know, fit in well there, but I assume he's going to go to another team at some point. I'm fascinated by the jazz, uh, and, and kind of what they do moving forward. As far as a head coach, are they going to go rebuild? Are they going to get, you know, like their John Beeline type from college to come in? Like, what is the next move for them um, will be fascinating. So I, I would love to talk to you about it because you know a lot more than me. But Quinn Snyder, if he were to go to Duke, I would actually be worried. You know, I think Carolina fans would be like, oh, my goodness, they have a real basketball coach over there. So hopefully Quinn, knock on wood, he will stay out of the successor power rankings uh, or at least stay low on them. He had that moment at Mizzou where he was a streaking star. He was the next guy mm. up off of Coach yeah. After Mr. K's bench, and <laughs> yeah, the success in the G League, which leads to the Jazz, uh, he he can come back and he and could get pull a done. Eric Musselman. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would be the best example of what Quinn could do. He could go to a program and just revive it with the energy that he has, and obviously the expertise and the connection that he has to the NBA. The funniest thing about the SEC right now is that every single program is pe preaching the NBA. Uh, Louisville now included in the ACC, right? They're all kind of pitching the same thing that Calipari has been pitching. But Arkansas and Eric Musselman, they've made it more fun, and they also have taken on every transfer available. So uh, they, you know, Quinn could do something like that and would be really successful, I'm sure, in college. Well, I wanted to hear from you the best college coach Danny Ainge could poach because that's what Ooh. he did with the Celtics uh, last time around when he was on his coaching search after Doc Rivers. And now he's the big basketball decision maker here and will be very influential on who the next guy is. Who are those college coaches that sh people should be aware about? And like Jay Wright, he retired Ooh. from college basketball, but does that leave the door open for him to be a pro guy? Yeah, I, I like to think that the Sixers are giving Doc one more year, and then they're going to call Jay Wright next summer and say, Jay, what do you think about this? And, and see where his head's at. We'll see about that. But – I think when I think of the Utah Jazz and I think of college basketball coaches and I think of Danny Ainge, he always wants to go for the top coach, right? The best coach. So it, it has a little bit of splash to it. He's going to win the headlines. And if you look at college basketball, the best coach and the one that fits, I think, and someone that would actually take the leap, surprisingly, would be Mark Few at Gonzaga. Um, he is the one that I think Danny Ainge maybe has an agent reach out to him and says, you know, Coach Few would, would love to hear, uh, you know, about what you're thinking in Utah. And he makes what I think some people may think is surprising, but not shocking because Mark Few, even though he is not won that elusive national championship, he did almost go undefeated. He has kind of, you know, been a preseason number one, it feels like, every year for the past five years. Um, and, you know, he's, he's seen it all a little bit at Gonzaga, and he loses Tommy Lloyd to Arizona, his top assistant for a long time. So maybe he's a guy that Utah reaches out to and says, hey, you know, want to come check out the pro game? And also John Stockton, right? He, he's a Gonzaga guy close to the Utah Jazz program, so maybe they make that connection. That's just a name that comes to mind. As soon as you threw that out to me, my head said Mark Few. So I don't know how you take that. I think that would be kind of exciting, but I don't know. That sounds butlery. 
That sounds yeah. like a guy who had been to a national championship game but wasn't able to get over the hump, but then exactly. could still have success at the NBA level. Mm-hmm. And someone that Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge, you know, the nickname is Almost Ainge. So he he got he likes guys that almost did it. So uh, Brad Stevens right there, Mark Few up next. So that that feels like a name. Scott Drew is also a name that I think that could be thrown out there. You can never rule out Coach K. Uh, you know, if he if he's uh, floating out there, I don't know how Danny Ainge doesn't call him. Um, you got to go with the best talent available. We know how that how that works in the basketball world. Um, as far as young coaches, though. It's really interesting because there's no one that really, like I said, is splashy and wins the headlines. There's a lot of good coaches, right, that that he could tap into, and maybe he does try to pull one up out of the ranks. But there's no one really that I think, um, you know, moves the needle in that sense. So Mark Few would be the best one from college. Ainge told this story at the press conference with Quinn on Monday about watching 2010, the national championship game between Duke and Butler, and he pointed – during the handshake line, he said, that's the best coach in college basketball. And Pags, the Celtics owner, was saying, yeah, Coach K, he's the best. And he said, no, Brad Stevens, that's the guy that's the best yeah. head coach in college basketball. So he, he looks down towards the college game as something that could be an, even a feeder. I mean, as it should be, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys that were in college and then get pulled up to the pro ranks. And, yeah, it doesn't always work. You have your Rick Pitino situations. But – at a certain level, right, basketball is basketball, and if you can connect, that's really what you you have to do, as we see with both of the coaches that are in the finals right now, right? I think that Steve Kerr and Ime Udoka, yes, they're great basketball minds, and they know the game, and they played the game, but they also are, you know, relating on a personal level, on a human level with their players, right? I mean, Ime Udoka, the most famous line of the finals right now is he called his team over and said, why are you guys playing like you know, and they they also started laughing, right? And they stopped turning the ball over. And that's like a that's what I think. If you do bring bring someone up from college, you got to make sure that they're talking to to humans, to grown ups, to equals, and they're not talking to kids, right? Because that is the the big difference. And I, maybe that was a little bit of trouble with Beeline. He thought he was going to have you know more of a uh, mentorship role, and guys were like, "Look, dude, I'm a pro." Um, regard me as such so that's the only concern sometimes with college guys but um Danny will figure it out Danny Ainge is a brilliant basketball mind we all know that and uh that's why Michael Jordan took him to the golf course right he was trying to get him distracted and and Danny I think will be focused being back home in Utah it makes a lot of sense that he would go after a guy like Gordon Hayward I'm just gonna float that out here right can we bring Gordon Hayward home he's on my Charlotte Hornets right now I, I do love Gordon, but I think it makes sense for him to go back to Danny Ainge. So that's just another thing I want to throw out there, JP. Are you working the trade machine to try to get Rudy? Is that what you're, you're I, do, I do want Rudy. I do want Rudy. And we have, and Michael Jordan has a relationship with the French people, a great relationship thanks to his ties to Paris. You know what I mean? We People forget Tony Parker played on the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, people remember that Nick Batum came and took a lot of money from the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> um, you know, so we've always been great uh, to French basketball players. So if Rudy's listening, uh, the Charlotte Hornets would welcome you with open arms and LaMelo Ball will throw you open lobs. I'm sorry to the Utah Jazz fans that are listening to this. I don't want to be recruiting for the Charlotte Hornets. I apologize. But That's Gordon okay. Hayward, back to Utah. That's okay. As long as there's a reunion with Gordon Hayward and a person that the Jazz could definitely use because they need wings. Right. Need somebody who could do the Gordon Hayward things. That's the funny part about Gordon Hayward leaving. The immediate miss and the immediate thing that they needed was a Gordon Hayward type. Exactly. To play for this team. 
And he got coerced to go play right under his old coach, Brad Stevens, and by Danny Ainge, who is now fortunately with you guys. So he has to use that same, you know, willpower or whatever you want to call it. You know, the trade machine is what we would call it here to make it happen. Call Mitch Kupchak. Maybe it doesn't have to be Rudy, you know, but I think the contracts do match up. I'm just saying. But Gordon Hayward back to Utah. I would love to see that for Gordon because Gordon, um, you know, he deserves one last run in like a, a place that I think he will enjoy. And, you know, Utah feels like kind of home to him a little bit, right? That That's where he became a star, so a max player. So he can go back and do it again. What were your feelings when Roy Williams retires? I'm trying to give Ooh. some uh, – advice for jazz fans as to how they should feel during a coaching search when they're seeing all these names pop up and see who they're interviewing and not trying to get ahead of themselves advice that you had during that time when Roy Williams stepped down and then Hubert Davis eventually becomes the head man. Yeah. I mean, Roy Williams, I went to the Roy Williams basketball camp. Roy Williams was, you know, he was the, the great hope of North Carolina basketball. I mean, people forget Matt Darty came, he won coach of the year his first year. And then by the end of his run, we were eight and 20 and completely, you know, kaput. And, uh, Roy Williams left the blue blood that he was, you know, at the mountaintop with and comes back home to North Carolina, you know, for Dean Smith and then wins three national championships more than coach Smith, which was amazing. Um, I mean, the feeling was shock, obviously, but I, I understood it at some level. And then it was just kind of uh, an overwhelming amount of emotion. And then you just try to smile and remember all the good times, right? I mean, even though we live in this world where everything is like, if you don't win a championship, then you suck or whatever, that, you know, this ridiculous, exaggerated version of this world. But, like, the amount of games and moments and things that happened under Quinn's watch with the Utah Jazz obviously was a great step in the right direction. It was, you know, they were the best team in the West with their record. We, we saw that multiple times over. Um, so, I mean, I just think you got to you got to smile, and remember the good times and also, um, you know, have faith that there is a larger plan. And I think Utah, there really is a larger plan with Danny Ainge and what they're going to do with this new ownership and all that sort of stuff. And also, you know, for Carolina basketball, I didn't even know that Roy knew the plan. You know, he didn't I didn't know that Hubert Davis really wanted this and he took it and he grabbed it and he ran with it. And whoever Danny Ainge brings in, I'm sure will do the same. So the good news uh, in my advice is basically just to, to smile and remember the good times and uh, just know that, hey more good times could be ahead, right? I mean, Roy Williams left and Hubert Davis went to the national championship game. I mean, my goodness. And beat Coach K twice. People forget. <laughs> I think people remember. <laughs> I hope they do. Beat him twice because <laughs> one was a pretty famous one on that last yeah. day right in yeah. front of Jay Billis, J.J. Redick, all those guys. Man. Quinn couldn't make it out there, but he Smart. definitely saw it. Smart for Quinn. I think that was a that was a that's how you know this guy. I mean, I think that's why he moved up the successor power rankings because Coach K actually judged the guys who came. Um, and he actually blamed them. You know, he's like, you guys are bad luck. <laughs> Quinn is not bad luck. Now, let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. 
great point in not buying into that championship or bust because I even think to some college football teams, there are only four teams that make the playoff. You got to sometimes yeah. enjoy eight win football and make it a bowl. That's that's fun for some teams and some programs to get ten wins. Done. Like yeah, get excited. Like that's amazing. That's a, that's an accomplishment. Some teams give out rings for winning ten games. You know what I mean? Like. I, I, uh, yeah, it's become very exaggerated. And I think a lot of it is like radio, TV, you know, conversations, debates, whatever you want to call it. I don't think it's reality because when you're on a good team and you do well, even if the final result is not holding the trophy at the end of the day, you know that you accomplished at some level a lot. You know what I mean? Especially for a small market team like Utah, right? I mean, that you're, Utah's always been good, it, it feels like. And obviously that's Coach Sloan and, you know, it, it keeps going on. But there's a lineage of success. And that's why I think you have to have faith that it will continue. Um, and it might just be different faces that are carrying it on. And hopefully Quinn is not, you know, somewhere in the Western Conference competing against you because we all know how good of a coach he is. So hopefully he, he takes a break because – he looked exhausted too, right? Everyone's a little exhausted when when you keep trying to run it back and you keep trying to make it work and it just won't work. It, I think it's fair to everybody to take a break and uh, unfortunately it meant that you lose Quinn Snyder, but you remember the good times. The man served two presidential terms and he looked like it. He did. He did. He looked fresh at the beginning and now he looked a little haggard. He had that five o'clock shadow at, towards the end of the playoff run. It looked a little like he hadn't slept in a while. And you think about the teams and, and the players that you're going up against, right? If you're Utah, you're going up against guys like Nikola Jokic, who is going to be an all-time great player. You're going up against Kawhi Leonard, right? And Paul George. These are like, Kawhi's a definite Hall of Famer, and Paul George could be, right? I mean, you're going up against some, it's Steph Curry and the Warriors. You're going up against the Dynasty, right? You're You're... The Phoenix Suns, what they built. You're going up against a lot of talent, and everything needs context. And no one looks back on Carl Malone and John Stockton, two top 75 Hall of Famers, and says, these guys suck. <laughs> no one does that. Carl Malone is second all-time in points, right? Or I, LeBron now is. LeBron just passed him. But he was second to Kareem for a long time in points. So it, it is uh, – and Stockton with the assist records, I mean – at the end of the day, you can have a Neanderthal-type conversation about basketball or you can have a, a real conversation and respect the game and respect the players who did stuff and the coaches who made things happen, like Quinn Snyder. And I'm a Carolina guy, and I say these nice things about Quinn Snyder. You know what I mean? I don't I don't have to do that. But I was shocked. I am shocked that you're saying I, nice things about I him. respect Quinn Snyder. You know what I mean? And that is that supersedes you know a rivalry or you know stupid radio talk <laughs> it which is fun sometimes you know we enjoy it sometimes <laughs> yeah you know every once in a while it's a nice palate we need it for things yeah we need it yeah we need mad dog and i love his lists mike i love his, his lists. lists in response to jj are awesome it's great it's great tv right I, i'm i'm there to be entertained right i mean no one no one should take what is going on and say this is the word and you know abide by it it's like wow let's let's laugh and poke fun at ourselves a little bit here this is hilarious well, let's get some serious draft analysis then Ooh. next from you because I want to hear how the hell Shaden Sharp, a guy who I haven't seen in college basketball, jumps all yeah. the way to a top 10 pick in all sorts of draft boards because this guy doesn't even play when he goes to Kentucky. Yeah, the algorithm is the only way I can explain it. I think the algorithm, uh, for whatever reason, they like Shaden Sharp uh, from Canada. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, there's a Canadian shooting guard that is going to go top six, 
and it's not going to be Shadon Sharp. It's going to be Ben Matherin, Benedict Matherin coming out of Arizona. I think he's going to be the guy that the Pacers take at six. It won't be Sharp, even though I've seen a lot of mock drafts have Sharp there. The thing that concerns me about him is when he goes to Kentucky, they expect him to come back and play. Obviously, he changes his mind, throws his name in the draft. But in workouts and things, it seems like he's more inclined to not really play, right? He Like, he's taking the Michael Porter Jr. less tape is best tape um, approach, which at some level you're like, savvy, got to respect the gamesmanship here. But on another level, you're wondering why the guy doesn't want to play in games and if that's a red flag. And on the flip side, you got a lot of guards who do want to go at you, who do have that com- competitive fire and do have the natural uh, abilities, right, that a guy like Sharp has, and that's a guy like Ben Matherin. So um, I am shocked that he has jumped up, but I think being at Kentucky kind of helped raise his profile. But also the pre-draft stuff and some of the things I've heard from his meetings and his workouts – like, you know, he, he had one workout apparently where he, you know, played one game pretty good and then he kind of just, you know, mailed in the next couple games, right? So things like that concern you. But also, if he thinks he's a guaranteed top 10 pick, why am I going to – he's like, why am I going to bust my ass out here when I know I'm good? So you see both sides of the conversation, but at the same time, I he I would not take him uh, in the top top 10, but I'm, I'm obviously not a GM or an owner. But uh, Ben Matherin, I would. And they play the same position, and they're both Canadian. And uh, take Ben Matherin. That would be my advice. If you are sitting there like, we want a shooting guard, Ben Matherin. And, and take this with the warning. Neither of us are NBA general managers. <laughs> this, is, this is just us, uh, by the way. Even though uh, I'm talking on the Utah Jazz team site, they yeah. don't have a pick, so I can speak a little bit more freely this time Love that. around when you talk about the draft. I'm watching Sharp's EYBL clips. How does an actual general manager do things if they can't even get him for a workout? Because I bet even teams yeah. that are lower in the that top 10 can't get him out because he thinks he's going to go higher. Well, this is the reason why everyone you know, throws their arms up in the end. They're like, why is the one-and-done rule? Why does the NBA have this terrible rule? And the reason they have this terrible rule is because the high school coaches and people and AAU or whatever would make up stuff about their players and make up measurables. And they would, that's why they want them to go to college so they can get like actual tape and they can get actual measurable measurables and they can get actual information. Right. Um, Cause that's what the colleges basically do. They do the fact finding for the NBA right now. That's why they're not going to change the rules. This is the sharp situation almost takes us back to that high school, you know, um, you know, kind of lack of knowledge. And sometimes it works out. Like, nobody knew anything about Giannis. They were showing tape of him playing against seventh graders. And it looked like, you know, Godzilla was dunking on, like, the charter school, right? I mean, it didn't make sense. But you're like, I don't know. I think the Milwaukee Bucks just picked the greatest player I've ever seen based on the highlights. And he turned out pretty good. He's the best player in the NBA right now. So, um, that, you know, in that sense, Sharp not having that much tape, you're like, hey, we, we've seen worse before. But like you said, it, it does feel very backwards. And I wouldn't be sh- – I mean, I know he got invited to the green room and everything, but I wouldn't be shocked if he falls, um, you know, to late lottery mid-first round as opposed to 6 to 10 range, which I feel like he's mocked pretty consistently in that range. Yeah, it seems that that top five – is pretty entrenched. Chet, yeah. Paolo, Jabari, Ivy. Then after that, it sort of gets a little screwy. Where are you on the top three? 
I, I was going to say, I, I think it's all about fit, but I, I and everyone expects John Hammond, the GM of the Magic, to obviously go wingspan and take Chet, which fair bet also played with Suggs in high school. They both played at Gonzaga. There's all those kind of storylines that make sense for the Magic, but I personally think the Magic are mulling over taking Paolo Bancaro number one. And Paolo Bencaro, look, I'm a Carolina guy. Paolo Bencaro is a NBA-ready player, and this this team, this administration with the Magic, they are in win-now mode. They don't want a project, and they think maybe Chet is more of a project. And Paolo, they think, is more, hey, we can actually get him in and play him immediately at the four, right, for us. He can start at the four for us, and then we go from there. So... Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Bancaro, as we get closer to the draft, there's more, you know, steam about him potentially being number one. But if it's not him, it's Chet. My favorite of the three is Jabari, Jabari Smith. And uh, we joke on Titus and Tate that everyone's been the next Kevin Durant for like the past, you know, 10 years. I think that Jabari Smith might actually be because he's going to go number two. He's going to go to the Oklahoma City Thunder and he's going to be averaging like 18 points a game next season with Josh Giddy. So I... I really like Jabari Smith. I think both teams that don't get Jabari Smith in the top three are going to look back and be like, man, I, I kind of wish Jabari Smith had you know come to us. But at the same time, um, like I said, the Magic want to win now, and Jabari might be more of an offensive guy that can score for you and not actually a guy that plays both ways and, and knows how to play defense and all that sort of stuff. They think Bancaro can do that. Um I saw Brady Manick, you know, kind of kind of hit some shots on him, but you know, other than that, he seemed to be a good good defender. And um, so, that is my take on the top three. I wouldn't be shocked if Bancaro goes one. Is that your favorite draft cliche? The crazy player comparisons for players. He has John Stockton's passing ability. He has AI's handle. We always laugh at that. And my favorite uh, verbiage is uh, shades of shades of this player, right? This is uh, Kevin O'Connor. Uh, yeah, one of, one of my former colleagues and a great friend. He's a good guy. But he his draft guides with the shades of Kenyon Martin. Um, you're like, what? Like Zion Williamson is shades of Kenyon Martin? <laughs> like, and what shade? Like, what, what shade is, is that? Um, shade? I don't know. I, I, you know, those things always crack me up. And it also kind of like is a new thing as much as, you know, the draft experts will try to tell you, like, I'm not doing anything. You know, this is what it's been going on forever. Um, it's like a, it seems to be a new phenomenon. Jalen Rose is one of my favorites. Like he will throw out wild ones. You know, I think when Doug McDermott got picked, he was like Larry Bird um, with, <laughs> with like with more foot speed or something like that. You're like, what? Like what in the world is happening? Um, so those are always interesting and, uh, it's also fun to see like what players resonate with the analysts, right? Cause it's usually like a personal thing that has something to do with it. So if it's like a Celtics fan, right? They're like, this guy reminds me of James Posey. You're like, <laughs> what, like, what, are, where did that come from? Um, but yeah, it, it's hilarious. We, we like to laugh at it. And also we love when the NBA guys parachute in and then know the college players better than the guys that yeah. watch them all in college. That's, that's also funny. That's my favorite too. <laughs> that is my favorite because some of these guys haven't even been there for longer than four years. Like Desmond Bain, everybody knew that he would be somebody that could contribute at the next level. He was just four years, a little older, and he didn't have a long arms. And so NBA yeah. guy wasn't a fan of him. <laughs> yeah, don't like the wingspan. But, I mean, even like a Cam Johnson, right? Like, yeah. 
he comes right in. Everyone's saying what a horrible lottery pick, but he is basically a six man of the year candidate, right? For the number one team in the Western Conference until game seven in the playoffs. So, I mean, yeah, it's all at the end of the day, it's still basketball, right? And I think sometimes we trick ourselves with these measurables and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, all these attributes, right? But the, the attributes don't necessarily, you know, translate to tangible skills on a basketball court. And uh, there's a lot of guys that know their role and know how to fit in. And uh, I think the P.J. Tuckers of the world actually have helped some of the younger guys now coming up saying, hey, this is who I am. Like Desmond Bain came up, he's like, I'm a defender, right? That's what I, I play defense. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> this guy's got an identity. He knows who, who he's going to be. He's not going to be the superstar like John Moran. He's he's actually going to be his running mate, and uh, they're a great duo. So there's a lot of situations like that in the NBA that, um, you know, if you pick the right player that fits. Like Ochai Agbaji, to me, a guy from Kansas, wins the national championship, played four years. I don't understand how teams wouldn't look at this guy and say, if we really want to take the next step and want to have a guy that can come off our bench and play immediately and, and contribute as a person to our team in the locker room, that guy's perfect. And he's only going to work hard and he's only going to get better. And he is, was at, in Lawrence, Kansas, a basketball mecca for four years and got better every single year. So um, that's someone like, you know, a Desmond Bain type that like may, he maybe he's overlooked because his measurables, but the eye test says that guy's going to help your team. Why don't you take him? Well, and as much as college basketball gets flack, sometimes going back has been the right decision. Jaden Ivey, 100%, mm. going back only improved his stock because he got better from shooting from three, and he yeah. could show that explosiveness and offensive ability that every single NBA general manager and scout loves. Yeah, they every team is looking for John Moran, Anthony Edwards, someone that can just beat you off the dribble downhill, right? I mean, that is what everyone wants right now. That's that's the hot item, you know, if we're in Zoolander. That's what everyone everyone's going after that downhill player. And Jaden Ivey is a sneaky guy. I don't think Orlando would take him, but if another team was number one instead of Orlando, I think that Jaden Ivey would be in the number one pick conversation just because of his skills. I think he's the best player in this draft. Maybe I'm I'm crazy. I've, I've lobbed that to yeah. other people, and they look at me sideways. But I think he's the best player. I, I would take him number one if I were any yeah. team that had it. I think Detroit is uh, you know, licking their chops and hoping, praying, wishing that he falls to them because um, if you get Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey, you have the blind spot of Cade covered with the athleticism, and you take away a lot of the, the necessary – like driving and the stuff that's going to hurt Cade's body over time that he's not necessarily, he doesn't have that quick first step. It takes a little bit more for him to get in the paint. So you let Jay Ivey handle that stuff. I think that Detroit's got a real good team right there. So they're, I think they're, they're the perfect fit for Ivy. I hope he falls to him and uh, that would be fun to watch because Detroit's had good backcourts before. I'll let you go on this. Who are some of the other longer stay guys in college that we should be aware of that could make, an impact in the NBA. I, you know, I say this one, I already said his name. Ochai Agbaji, I think is the four year guy that is, should be a lottery pick. Maybe he goes like 15th or, you know, falls to the twenties, but um, that guy's going to come in and be great. I, I really do think so. And if he's not great his first year, I promise you by year two, year three, he's only going to get better. He's going to, he's going to figure it out. So Ochai Agbaji, I really believe in, 
And I love shooters, um, and I love point guards. And one point guard that I really like that I think is somehow under the radar, but he's also a four-year guy, five-year guy, really, Colin Gillespie of Villanova. I think Colin Gillespie, you get him on your team, that is a that is a plus person to have around. He is, one, a very smart player, and he's also going to push whoever you have in your backcourt, and he's going to probably end up playing for you and helping you out in some level, you know? Um, like a Peyton Pritchard type, right? I think I think he could do that um, for a team. Maybe even the Sixers, right? Who knows? Maybe he stays in Philadelphia. Is that a combo deal? If you get Gillespie, do you also get Wright the next year? Yeah, I think so, right? That, that's the way that you, you get Jay Wright. You attract him with bait, which is Colin Gillespie. He's like, God, I, I really want to. Yeah, he's like, I really want to coach Colin Gillespie again. Um, yeah, so I like, and then my, my third guy, and I like I said, I like shooters. I love Brady Manick. I really do. I mean, that release is quick enough. He's 6'8". The guy has had to play the five before. He was Trey Young's teammate at Oklahoma. Like, he knows how to play with stars. Trey Young is basically saying, Atlanta, please bring this man here. That's who he wants him to get. And if you have a second-round pick, I mean, I don't know why you don't take a flyer on him. Or or if he doesn't get drafted, why don't you bring him in on a two-way type situation? Because... I mean, even if you're like a team like the Lakers that need shooting, right? I mean, why not take a flyer on that guy and just see what happens? Because he's basically a pro-level player. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to move the ball. The only thing you worry about is his defense. But guess what, guys? He was guarding Paolo Bancaro, who, as I said earlier, probably and could be and potentially will be the number one pick in the NBA draft. So, of course, Brady Manick is not shutting down Paolo Bancaro. My God. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really like... Uh, I like those three guys. I like Ochag Baji a lot. Uh, I love Colin Gillespie. And, uh, you know, I, I am in love forever with Brady Manick. For for all that he did in his For all that he did. Him. Yeah. For Thank you for your service, Brady. Thank you. <laughs> True pro's pro. The veteran, uh, Brady Manick. Tate Frazier of Tyson Tate. Draft analyst for us. And Coach K's, Mr. K's, succession power <laughs> rankings on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Tate, thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate you.